Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Corinthians, the first chapter starting in verse 18. We consider um, our text today as we move through this series during Lent called At the Cross, and today is simply entitled Foolishness. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed, but it is the power of God for those of us who are being saved. It is written in Scripture, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will reject the intelligence of the intelligent. Where are the wise? Where are the legal experts? Where are today's debaters? Hasn't God made the wisdom of the world foolish? In God's wisdom, he determined that the whole world wouldn't come to know him through its wisdom. Instead, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. Jews ask for signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, which is a scandal to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. This is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My high school principal was one of those legendary men. He was the consummate educator and leader. He knew every student at my 2400 student high school by name and he clearly loved his job. During my time in high school, I had multiple occasions to sit in his office, and he always had those mini Coke bottles ready in his office and a great candy stash ready for student visits at any time. As we got to know each other during my tenure in high school, we started to have more and more conversations about what I was going to do with my life. I'd shared with him about my call to ministry, and I think he was hoping that during high school, my fanaticism would drift away a little bit, and that I would pursue a more useful career. I respected this man so very much, and still do to this day. But I remember one day in his office, probably my junior year, and him asking the equivalent of this question, don't you want to be a politician and really change something? Now, I probably wasn't as cynical about politicians as I am today, but I could hear the undercurrent whenever we talked together about my vocation. Why would you do something so foolish as ministry? Following Jesus in our world today is foolishness. Each of you spending a part of your weekend tuning in so that you can worship a God who you cannot see and be part of a community built around this belief is foolish. It was foolish when Paul was writing 1 Corinthians. It was foolish to my high school principal, and it is foolish today. You could be finishing a project around the house right now, or bidging another crime show on that smart TV you're tuning in on, or going out to brunch, but you're here. You are connecting to a church. Many of you are committing time and money to serving in and through our church, all for something that we cannot scientifically and rationally prove. Foolishness. 
The word in Greek that Paul uses for foolish literally is moron. It is the exact opposite of the wisdom that was so prized in Paul's world and is in a different form so prized today. Paul is essentially saying that the message of the cross appears moronic compared to the wisdom of the world. The band Cabin's Call wrote a song in the 90s whose lyric I cannot quite escape this week when they said, this world has nothing for me and this world has everything. All that I could want and nothing that I need. I feel this every time I try to make a list at Christmas for things I want. Sometimes there are a couple of things I have been eyeing. Other times it feels almost like a helpless endeavor. It's sort of like scrolling through everything on a streaming service. It's got everything, all that I could want and nothing that I need. Paul depicts this sentiment of all that I want and nothing that I need as the wisdom of the world. When he's writing to Corinth, it's a bustling metropolis and a hub of ideas. Paul writes in verse 22, Jews ask for signs and Greeks look for wisdom. These were the ideals of this age. Philosophers abounded in this day and were teaching in the centers of the cities. They were celebrities of the day, following the footsteps of influencers like Aristotle. The belief was that God ought to make sense and be understandable on our terms. So the Jewish expectation of a Messiah was an expectation of displays of power. And the Greek expectation of divinity was that of ultimate wisdom. So then in this realm that prizes wisdom above all else, here comes this message of the cross that Christians are proclaiming. And it sounds like utter foolishness. But we preach Christ crucified, Paul writes, which is a scandal to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Christ crucified. We are used to these words together, but someone in Paul's day was not. These two words together were an oxymoron, a paradox. Scholar Gordon Fee writes, Indeed, Christ crucified is a contradiction in terms of the same category as fried ice. One may have a Messiah, or one may have a crucifixion, but one may not have both, at least not from the perspective of merely human understanding. Messiah meant power, splendor, triumph. Crucifixion meant weakness, humiliation, defeat. End quote. Messiah and crucifixion could not be words that held together in the wisdom of the world. Thus, the cross represents what Paul calls the foolishness of God. We are so used to, so accustomed to the cross being the main symbol of our faith. It has been so for 1,900 years. The cross has lost its scandal for us today. The cross has become a bland symbol or branding. But for the first 100 years or so of the Christian movement, the cross did not hold a place of prominence in worship or a symbol. The cross was oppositional to what a Messiah, to what salvation should be. Yet in God's wisdom, God chose to use this instrument of death and humiliation to bring life to the world. 
Richard Hayes writes that the cross was designed to demonstrate that no one should defy the powers that be. Yet Paul's gospel declares that the crucifixion of Jesus is somehow the event through which God has triumphed over these powers. So Paul re-narrates what the crucifixion means. Rather than humiliation and ultimate defeat, the cross becomes the place of victory over the powers of evil and conquers them. Paul quotes Isaiah to prove his point about God's activity that appears as foolish. In Isaiah 29, 14, God speaks, I will go on doing amazing things to these people, shocking and startling things. The wisdom of their wise will perish, and the discernment of their discerning will be hidden. Paul uses this text from Isaiah to show that the expectations that people have of God are not how God actually acts. God is surprising, Isaiah is sure to note, and does not bend to how we think God should respond. Paul thus ties the surprising activity of God in judgment and grace in the Old Testament to the cross of Jesus now. God will destroy the very thing that the Corinthians hold so dear, human wisdom. And God is doing this by the foolishness of the cross. For one cannot hold to the concepts of human wisdom and Christ crucified at the same time. So then Paul asks these rhetorical questions. Where are the wise? Where are the legal experts? Where are today's debaters? These three roles in Corinthian society, a philosopher, a Jewish scribe and teacher of the law, and a formal debater, all belong to this present age. And Paul is saying that by the power of the cross, this present age is being judged and is in fact defeated. The world is turned upside down, and it follows the logic of the cross. Paul is arguing that these positions of power and esteem are turned foolish in light of the cross. All history hinges at the cross. That is the foolishness of the message that indeed we proclaim. Our scripture closes today with these powerful words in verses 24 and 25. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. This is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And I think it's at this point where you are presented with a fork in the road. Do you trust in the foolishness of the cross, or do you trust in human wisdom? Do you trust in the foolishness of the cross, or do you trust in human wisdom? It seems easy to answer, but in day-to-day living, human wisdom seems quite appealing. And the way of the cross promises us foolishness and weakness. I don't think we ever intentionally choose for something foolish and weak. We're always looking for ways to self-improve, to be smarter with our brains, our time, our money. We're always looking for ways to be stronger physically, mentally, emotionally, looking to get an edge over and above someone else. And then the cross comes into our view, and we see the beauty of its foolishness. And when we stop and ponder the way in which our God saves us, we see the wonder of God's way. But we are at a crisis point when it comes 
to the cross. The cross challenges us. Are you going to trust in God's foolishness or in human wisdom? As Gordon Fee writes, no mere human in his or her right mind or otherwise would have ever dreamed up God's scheme for redemption through a crucified Messiah. It is too preposterous, too humiliating for a God. End quote. So it's not just whether or not you believe that Jesus died on the cross. It is about whether you want to follow such a plan that makes no earthly sense. For as followers of Jesus, we follow in the way of the cross. Jesus told us that we would have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. The way of the cross is the way of self-denial. It is the way that does not seek our own advantage, but seeks the advantage of someone else. In many ways, the way of the cross is antithetical to the way our world works. We are constantly praising those who take advantage of their situation and to do whatever it takes to reach their goals. The cross demands self-denial and an abandonment of the wisdom of this world. And when we follow this way of the cross, it leads us to true freedom and true joy. It is the freedom and joy that this world promises but never delivers. This world looks like it has everything that we could hope for or imagine. But whenever we seem to get it, we are disappointed. This world has nothing for me, and this world has everything, all that I could want, and nothing that I need. The way of the cross, the way that appears foolish, is the freedom of being bound to Christ and to his life. The way of the cross, to us who are being saved, is the power and wisdom of God. We are on this journey with Christ. We are walking with Jesus. We are being saved. It's not completely finished within us, but we know this power of the cross. When we contemplate it and think about Jesus there, the rest of life starts to come into focus. The cross becomes the lens through which we can view all of life. To follow in that way of freedom and joy, I'll take being a moron all day. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.